Welcome to Building Vesser, a podcast where our Quantum Spin Studios team takes you behind the scenes of what it's like to build a franchise IP from scratch. I'm Victory Palmisano. I'm Anne Houck. And I'm being the voice of Mike McCarg, who is technically present with us today, but he has lost his voice, so he cannot speak. But we also have people with us. Hi, I'm Tanner Hearn. I'm a producer on this podcast. I'm actually here every week, but I don't talk, and I'm excited to finally speak. I'm John Houck, and I'm excited to be here with the Vesser team. And I'm your pal, Jeremy. Hey! Yay! And we have new people here because we have a new series that we're going to be introducing to you all, which we're very, very excited about. To set the scene for what we're doing, while... Mike and I both kind of lost our voice. Mine's coming back, and Mike has been placed on an extended vocal rest. We were debating what we wanted to do with the podcast, and we thought it would be fun to actually play a game. So we're going to have Tanner and Jeremy as players at the table, along with my husband, John, and Victory and Mike will be playing a hybrid character so that while Mike is still in the silence, he still gets to hop in and play. Thanks, Anne. I'm really excited to jump in with everybody. Yeah, this should be fun. This is session zero. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to go over a little bit of what game we're actually playing. And then to make sure I don't re-lose my voice again, I'm going to pass the mic off to all of you to introduce your characters. The adventure that we'll be running is Expedition to the Sun Tower. It's one of the multi-session adventures that we have set in the world of Vesser. And everyone here will be playing emergent expeditioners who have just recently passed the Rite of Pashas and become candidates and expeditioners in their own right. This is actually going to be their first time leaving the safety of the garden and going out to fulfill a mission. And so we'll be following along with our intrepid explorers as they go to the Sun Tower to retrieve canisters of river light. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm so freaking excited. <laughs> Jeremy, you haven't played this one. You've played one of the one-shots, is that right? That is correct. Yeah, this will be my first time. Yeah, you played in the, in the Halls of Singing Stone, right? Yes. Cool. Yeah. So I've, I've played once, and I've, I've watched everybody play a couple times, so I'm relatively familiar. But the cool thing about this is, you know, it's a new game, so everything is new. But so far, I found it to be extremely accessible. I'm excited, too, because I think everyone at this table, besides Mike, has never played this adventure. So it'll be completely new and fresh. And this will be my first time taking over the GM hat from Mike. So that's that's excited. And I'm I'm really happy to dive into it. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, everybody. If you're on the Discord and you like to play this game, this is a game that you will play. So if you don't like spoilers, you should pause or like only play every other minute. That will make it even more mysterious. You'll at least only know half of it. But we just wanted to let you know that there will be spoilers and we are excited to share with those who want to hear what we're about to play. So we're going to go around and everyone is going to introduce their characters for the game. First, we're going to start with the character sentence that each of you made during character creation. That'll include your name, species, type, descriptor, and focus as a brief overview, and then you can share any backstory elements that you feel comfortable sharing. Like, what does your character look like? 
Do they come from Hesh or exile? What are their motivations, personality? Do they want to be exalted or do they want to open, you know, the next hottest pub in the garden to compete with the ether? After that, I do think it would be helpful for context to share. I sent each of you the flavor text for the types that you chose. And that'll, that'll help sort of contextualize for all the folks listening at home. What is a wraith? What is a lens? What, what do these fun fantasy words mean? So yeah, whoever wants to go first. I'm happy to go first. My character, this is Tanner, by the way. My character is Kaylin. Kaylin is a genuine human wraith who mends wounds. Wraiths are really cool. They glide through the shadows. They strike from the dark. And they move incredible distances at impossible speeds. So this is this is the stealthy, the stealthy one. So Kaylin's a human wraith. I'll I'll give more physical description and backstory in a bit. Okay, I am Eshkal, a stubborn mountain runja lens who crafts illusions. So lenses mold emanation to their will, shaping it in new and spectacular ways to empower ancient artifacts, heal their allies, and evaporate their enemies. When common folk think of an emergent, most envision a lens. Lenses encompass a broad range of abilities. Some create detonations by manipulating thermal and electromagnetic energy, Others imbue mundane objects with emergence, transforming them into semi-sentient emergent constructs. Others manipulate time or body chemistry to perform feats of healing or inflict terrible maladies, and the list goes on. The common factor between all lenses is that their eminent abilities primarily work beyond their own physiologies. Lenses are typically skilled at manipulating matter and energy at range. They can use these abilities to control a battlefield or to navigate ruins and environments inundated with emanation. My name is Maituk. I'm a brash Delta Runja, Arcus who controls gravity. What is an Arcus, you may be wondering? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you. The unwavering gaze of an Arcus pierces the fabric of reality itself. Their preternatural perception grants them abilities that seem almost precognitive. They notice danger long before anyone else. An Arcus's vision cuts through the deepest dark, reveals the weaknesses of their enemies, and can even unveil the flow of emanation itself. Arcuses also apply their acute senses to combat, favoring weapons that prioritize precision and focus over brute force. Whether they're loosing arrows, hurling sling bullets, or throwing disc daggers, the Arcus always knows how to make the most of the smallest gap in a foe's defenses. Awesome. That's what it is. Yeah, that's cool. Heck yeah, it is. Merit is an off-putting human conduit who sculpts flesh. A conduit charges into battle unarmed. Whether they wreathe themselves into energy, reshape their physical forms, or shroud themselves in psionic fields or animated matter, their body is all the weapon they need. To a conduit, the line between emanation and embodiment is constantly blurred. When your very body is inundated with power, the distinction between natural and supernatural becomes meaningless. More than any other discipline, conduits are masters of metabolizing magic and can just as easily absorb energy as emit it, transforming and repurposing it to harm and heal alike. I was so excited that everyone for this naturally went very different directions for their characters. We have a very even mix of humans, runja, 
melee, ranged, casters. It's it's all very balanced. And I was super excited to see what everyone's come up with. To to that point, if you want to go around and tell me a little bit about what does your character look like and what do their powers look like? So for, for people at home, emanation is as unique to people as their own fingerprints. So if you had seven lenses in a room, they would all move and shape emanation in very different ways. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what does emanation look like when you wield it? Kaylin, again, is a human wraith who mends wounds. I'll just kind of talk about what I look like. So I'm slender with agile movements and kind of the most striking feature of Kaylin is the tree-like set of scars that run down their right arm and hand. And it's a permanent mark from something that happened to them previously. They dress in practical yet unassuming clothes, blending into to the crowd. And Kaylin is sincere and stealthy. There's definitely some things that he hides. Has like a humble demeanor and genuine interest in helping people. And I think one of the things in this session zero that would be interesting to to discuss, even if some of it isn't actually like in character, is how Kaylin knows one of the other characters. So I'll just kind of talk through Kaylin's backstory. So so Kaylin actually grew up in Hesh, and for anybody that's on the Discord has listened to this podcast, Hesh is a city known for bustling markets and and goods being sold. It's run by an influential set of merchant families. And Kaylin is from within one of those families. But despite that wealth that Kaylin comes from, he's always felt disconnected from that lifestyle and was more intrigued by the other people in the city. And so Kaylin's life changed when he encountered an older person in Hesh who was unjustly accused of theft. And he stepped in, and those actions kind of created a rift with his family. And after a tense event that left that person severely injured, that's when Kalen's emanation appeared when he tried to heal that person and save their life. And the emanation overwhelmed Kalen. And in that moment, he hurt his arm, and it left this, these huge scars that run down the right side of his body. So I'm new to TTRPGs. It would be nice to kind of find a way to connect some characters together. So is there anybody here who's from Hesh or where maybe Kaylin and your character has met in Hesh or maybe in Exile? So I think Merritt would know Kaylin throughout his childhood growing up where Merritt's parents would be employed by Kaylin's parents as bookkeepers in the local markets. And then I feel like uh, in the trials in the garden at Exile that Merritt saw a familiar face and kind of clung on to Kaylin a little bit to learn the ropes as he was now shipped off to Exile away from his parents for the first time and trying to figure out life on his own. I love it. And one one thing to mention here, too, is the Garden of Suktu is, is large, but it's not absolutely massive. There's a very good chance most of you have at least, you know, encountered each other in passing, 
particularly because you've all sort of passed your trial of discernment at the same time, or at least in, in close enough proximity to be sent out on this expedition together. So it's highly likely like some of you might have encountered each other in classes, things like that. John, do you want to tell us about Merit? So Merit right now in the story would be a 21-year-old human male, and he himself is very unassuming looking, just because his emanation, he doesn't really see the need to make himself stand out because his entire emanation is revolving around changing his body and changing his physiology. So if you saw Merritt on the street, you probably would never think twice. He kind of has a not not much in terms of distinctive characteristics until he uses his emanation, and then he's really hard to miss. For a brief backstory on Merritt, he was the son of two bookkeepers in Hesh, and his entire life he grew up basically the heir apprentice to their bookkeeping shop, which was going to be his worst nightmare. And he really loathed the idea of following in their footsteps. So he knew from an early age he was very quick-witted and very smart and could easily learn new skills, and he saw this as his way out of his family's business. So this pursuit of knowledge basically was his ticket out of his parents' shop and onto his own life, but eventually he had exhausted all of the knowledge he could easily get a hold of and knew that there were bigger and better things to learn. So his actual emanation came when he was attempting to borrow some locked-up scrolls about the Age of Consequence, and actually, while in a restricted area, heard footsteps coming and had to make a quick escape, but didn't want to leave without the, the scrolls he was trying to steal. And so while trying to reach through a barred gate, Merritt strained, and suddenly he heard and felt a cracking of his bones in his arm as they extended well past the gate, gripping around the scroll. And while that shot of adrenaline definitely gave him the ability to get out of there quickly, he could not reverse this effect. So he essentially showed up to his parents' house, scroll in hand, with an elongated skeletal arm. And so his emergence was noted immediately after it happened, which was around the age of 17. And his family kind of met this with a really cautious excitement because they saw he could go on to bigger and better things with this, and Merritt saw it immediately as his ticket out of Hesh. But they also knew they were sending him off essentially to the unknown of Exile. Then, during his time at Exile, uh, Merritt, because of this need to get out of his parents' shop and away from the daily life in Hesh, he was overly studious, as he had been most of his life, and he took his first attempt a little bit too hastily in Exile, and failed during his first trial. And this failure made him spiral a little bit, where he thought he was blowing his one chance to do something important with his life. And so he actually camped out in the garden for a long period of time, and despite his peers and the other keepers nudging him that he should try his, that he would t pass his trial if he tried again, he stayed and studied and over-prepared for years in the garden before taking his trial a second time and passing. So he spent a few years in the garden and mainly was driven by this fear of embarrassment of failing again because he didn't want to see this shot slip away. And now he's still pushing on where he sees kind of the end goal being an ascendant because that's 
the pinnacle of what he's trying to do. So he sees himself as basically with his emanation power as a kind of like all-around utility kind of person because he can change his physiology to what he needs so he thinks he'll be useful to any of the people in charge or like he'll be able to suit himself for a number of missions and make himself as useful as possible. Wow. Do you want to go next, Victory? I'm about six feet tall, but I'm like very, very sturdy and I have a lot of yeah plumage sort of around my chest area and my my feathers are bright white and then like a very iridescent green, some brown in places. And I have like an amazing sort of mohawk of, I don't know what you call that, a little tuft <laughs> yeah. of feathers. And I've got some amazing like eyelashes that that are very iridescent green. And when it's cold, I might wear a cloak of some kind with a brooch. But for the most part, I... I've got enough going on with my feathers that I don't feel the need to wear. Like I'm, since I'm a mountain rouge, I like being in the earth. Like I don't feel like I need to wear a lot of accessories. Very grounded. Maybe some leather bracelets. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm at visually. And what's your what's your personality like? I grew up in Hesh, and I learned that I was eminent when I was about 27 years old. I'd woken up in the middle of the night from a bad dream. And I went outside to get some air and the cloud cover was so thick, it was pitch black outside. And I wished, I just wished for the light of the moon and the stars and suddenly all around me, the moon and the stars appeared like I was floating in the sky. And I wondered if I was still dreaming, but the sudden light streaming through the windows and the doors woke my family and my neighbors. And my gift of emanation was instantly known and celebrated. And though I was very close with my family, it is considered a great honor in my culture to be emergent. And so I traveled to exile with an entourage of loved ones by my side, cheering me on. It was very, very difficult to say goodbye, but everyone was so proud of me. And so that's what I focused on. And I promised my family that I would dedicate my life to becoming exalted. And so that is exactly what I have focused on during my trial of discernment. I trained for six months for the trial of discernment and I nearly passed the first time except for one misstep and I didn't make that mistake again and I passed on my second try. So becoming an exalted is my singular goal and every day I envision what that day will be like and I imagine how proud I will make my community and I imagine that it lets me go home to be with them again even if it's just for a brief time. I'm very loyal to my friends and I help others as best as I can but when my mind is set on something that I want or need to do I have a way by which I think it should be done and I do not like to deviate from the plan. I respond to logic really well so I can be persuaded to change my mind if someone cares to go head to head with me. And I have a decent sense of humor. I can see the humorous side of most situations unless someone is in danger. That is never funny to me. I care about safety a lot. How else will I ever become exalted? Calculated risk is one thing, but reckless risk I am not into. I'm pretty social. I can make friends with almost anyone. For the most part, I like to be with other people. Unless I'm sad or upset, then I, I prefer to be alone. And I feel most at home when I am near to the earth. Incredible. 
that that's a lovely victory. Thanks. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. What you got for us, Jeremy? Well, I mean, you guys already all know who I am because I'm sort of famous. And I know who all of you are because I already pulled dossiers on each of you in case, you know, there's a problem somewhere down the line. Not saying that there would be, you know, I just like to be prepared. My enemies know me as Trickshot, which you know. Not that you're my enemies, but you've heard this, right? But my friends call me Little Trick. I was born in exile, and you know, quite frankly, my parents were, were screw-ups. So I was kind of, you know, raised by the by the streets. You know, I didn't go chasing waterfalls. I stuck to the rivers and the lakes that I was used to. And, you know, I didn't really aspire to much. I had a pretty humble beginning, which might sound shocking to you because, you know, things are going so excellent for me now. But my, uh, my powers manifested in a game of a blast ball which is a game we play, you know, about where I'm from. You, you don't play it in Hesh. You, you guys like probably go like skiing or do like lacrosse or something expensive. I don't know. Anyways, I I just I I did horseback riding. Of course, yeah. Lizard back. Lizard back riding. <laughs> yeah. I but I, I like I zinged this ball this ball so hard that I knocked two of this kid's fingers off his hand, and it would it shouldn't even have been possible because I you know I was nowhere near him, but it's like I bent. I bent the reality of the trajectory of the ball and you know I, I realized it's something that I could do and so it went from like party trick to you know this is actually like a seriously useful skill when I went to train I I got it in my head that not only was I going to aspire to be exalted but I am going to be exalted it's a known fact I'm the best there is at what I do I don't miss ever and in fact, I took the test 25 times because I would not let them pass me until my score was absolutely perfect. And when I was confident that I could replicate that every single time. So my, my, my ability is to basically hit anything from anywhere with any object under any circumstances. And you'll see it in action and I'm sure you'll be very impressed. Loving the confidence for someone who has never left the garden. Mm-hmm. And I think it's delightful that that we have we have three members of this party at least. I'm not sure about Kaylin, but we have three members of this party at least that want to be exalted. Not not want not want to be it will be, I think. Will, will be exalted. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Kaylin does not want to be exalted. Yeah. I, that was my guess from everything we've talked about. Was I I didn't picture Kaylin desiring that but yeah no that that'll be interesting because you know there's 24 spots three is a hefty portion of that well there's there's going to be 23 spots because one is one belongs to me well one's already yours you're you're right someone's just (laughs) someone's warming that seat for you there's only 22 spots because you're going to take two spots (laughs) you know hey you said it not me i'm curious to know because all, all of you have done character creation before. I'm really curious to know, when you were looking at making these characters, what were the bits that excited you the most? Like, what, what elements did you see and go like, oh, like this is why I'm going to choose this for my character. Like, this is the personality choice I'm going to make based off of this. Give us a little behind the scenes. I'm I'm new to this, so... 
what intrigues me the most about character creation is more of the emotional side of exploring different types of people. Mm -hmm. So like to some degree, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm less concerned with the mechanics, even like the, the cool factor of how well a thing looks in combat. And I'm, at the moment for 2023 2024 however long this season lasts of me getting into this at the beginning i'm just really interested in like exploring other people so i think like talking about backstory talking about the connections that's really intriguing to me to pretend in that way with other people i have played twice so far and both times they played a human so i was really excited by the idea of playing runcha and it's very freeing to think of playing a different species than a human so it was fun to step into the to the shoes of eshkal and or the talons of eshkal yeah. <laughs> And imagine what their backstory might be. Yeah, so I think it was just the a new lease on life, not being human. A new lease on the game. Yeah, because both of the other games you've played in, I've either been a player or been watching. And I, I think it's really cool to see like you as a player becoming more confident. Like that that was something awesome, like to hear with character creation this time and even like the backstory of like Oh, Victory's like super getting into this. Yeah. Like it's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Jeremy? You, you guys should call me Lil Trick because we're friends. Lil yeah. Trick or Little Lil Trick? Lil, Lil Trick. Trick. You can call me Tricky Lil if Trick. you're like more comfortable with that, you know? Okay. I, I, I think it's interesting how we all come to this with completely different backgrounds and role-playing games. Like I am a huge rpg dork i'm on my like third playthrough of Baldur's gate right now i was really attracted to you know my type of character because ranger classes are 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 really fun for me like i like range combat and stuff generally but they're often like kind of weak in a lot of other games whereas the arcus in this game when Anne was sharing with me the abilities and everything they sound really like powerful and cool and I, I really liked the idea of of creating sort of like a comically overconfident, you know, bullseye type character, like, you know, a bullseye deadshot sort of Hawkeye sort of cipher that just is so good at something weird, <laughs> you know, like just throwing objects that, you know, I just thought that would be really fun to do. And then playing, playing a, a character who has a skill that is exceptional and is comically overconfident but that hides within that like a, a sort of like a, a deep-rooted insecurity based on kind of like a rough upbringing and like a little bit of a chip on the shoulder i think would be fun to sort of unfold over the course of a, a longer campaign so yeah it's like it's really neat to be able to consider the uh the actual play style and like what am i actually going to be able to do what are my actual abilities but also sort of like what are my motivations for you know following this path in the first place it's like kind of like the the joy of a, playing a game like this Mm-hmm. I love that. John, what do you think about, like, you've played a lot of games. I'm curious if there's anything fresh for you in this playthrough. 
this is my first time really building a character in this system and compared to systems like Dungeons and Dragons 5e, which is the one I'm most familiar with, I would, one day I was excited just to try new options because you kind of grow tired of the constant wizard, barbarian, fighter kind of deal. And then once I got into this, just how quickly the characters snapped into place. It's a very modular system where you pick your description and then what kind of character you're going to be and an, basically an adjective to describe them. And it's just cool how quickly that all builds up into a character you can visualize. So that, that was a really cool aspect of this system. And I'm curious for you, what does it feel like that's different about this campaign that we're going to run sitting in the... The GM chair behind the screen, does anything feel interesting or new or fresh for you? Yeah, it's it's fun because I've gotten to go behind the scenes of constructing a lot of these adventures. There's sections in this that we've worked on pretty deeply in the world building team. And so I'm super excited to actually get to run those. Usually because I'm friends with a lot of people who are forever GMs, a lot of the times I'm I'm a player. And so it's it's been really exciting to step out of that a little bit and step into the GM seat. Like I've been at home trying to figure out, you know, what my GM style is, already preparing for some of the dialogue, things like that. And it's, it's been very exciting. And of course, this is a fantastic group of people to run for. I've played with most of you. And and so it, it's going to be exciting I think one of the things that's been very different for this is looking at the prep materials and all of that. Of course, there's like, there's the leg up of being a part of the team that's, that's building the game, but also in general, the base of the cipher system does make session prep pretty easy. So I, it's been a lot of fun trying to set things up and get things going because one of the things that some people at home might not know is as the GM in this game, I will never ever roll a dice. The only time I will get to touch dice at all is if I'm just like fidgeting with one by the desk. For for this entire game, that's going to be entirely in your court, and I'm just going to be pointing the camera wherever you go, and I think that's going to be really fun. And I'm excited to see if everyone makes it back. I mean, Jeremy's going to make it back or die tra trying that's clear that's right or, i'm sorry actually can you say the name of your character again well my my birth name is my but i don't really go by that my reputation has given me the name trick shot because trick i never shot. miss but you my friends can call me tricky or little trick i love that <laughs> all right tricky i think tricky is going to have a double meaning in this in this campaign i think so yeah. But yeah, are there any questions that y'all have for next week? I know we'll be messaging and talking about things well in advance, but is there anything else? I guess I would like to know, you know, having played this once before with you guys, we uh, used an online character sheet to keep track of everything. Are we going to be doing that for this as well? You watched the last group game that we had two weeks ago. We'll be using Foundry, which is what we used on that one. It's different than the VTT that you and I used playing in the Halls of Singing Stone. I love Foundry so far. We've really enjoyed it as a team because it it's so versatile and the character sheets are very well organized. I'm pretty excited to share those. 
Awesome. And then also, Anne, are you going to be doing any character voices? I've been... Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've been debating. My... My problem is for playing characters, I have like three voices. Uh-huh. And there's more than three people in this. So I've, I've been debating how I'm going to handle that. It'll be a bit of a surprise. I know some voices are probably going to happen. There will, there will be a Southern character just because that's my easiest go-to to just tap back into uh-huh. the dormant accent that lies within me. That was going to be mine for, for Kaylin. Yeah. Do it. Absolutely. All that may mean is that maybe Kaylin and whoever this NPC is would be from a similar region originally. Who knows? But yeah, no, I've, I've been debating if I'm going to do full-on character voices and, and how all that's going to go. I, I think I'm going to go at least... I'm dipping my toe into it. That's fun. Apologies to everyone at home who's going to hear me navigate figuring this out. No, it's you, guys, be, you guys yeah. are in for a real treat. I can yeah. tell. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to do a character voice? Who, me? Yeah. No, I don't think my guy has like a funny voice or anything. If it was like the if it was the right type of character, yeah. He's got enough else going on. Yeah, I think so. What I what I heard today was it's Jeremy with like overconfidence or something. Yeah, but like borderline on bo- bordering on scary. Like sociopathy. Yeah, I think my character like one one thing I didn't say about like my appearance is that my character tries to blend in because he aspires to be literally an assassin. And one of the things he does to blend in is uses the ashes of his enemies to add some gray to his plumage. Mm, that is wow. really dark. I like it. So him. he's like fun, but scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of fits in with like the nature is metal subreddit or something. Yeah. Because like, yeah, it's definitely something animalistic. So I think like from like a performance perspective, it would be fun to kind of shift from being like, like happy go lucky to like like I will I will kill you. Yeah. The the <laughs> yeah. smile hides the horrors. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the bigger the smile, the scarier it is. Mm-hmm. What about you, Victoria? Are you gonna do a voice? I think I'm going to work on my register. I don't know if I'm gonna do an accent, but I think I'm gonna try to channel some like Kate Blanchett L O T R vibes. Oh yeah. Lovely. Absolutely. Work on my register. If you if you come into this game with a Kate Blanchett inspired anything, <laughs> I'm right. giving you experience. <laughs> that is my gift to you. I love it. Absolutely, yes, one hundred percent. I think this also answers Mike's question on who th- who the actor is. Yeah. <laughs> Casting. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that Mike can't talk or laugh mm-hmm. on microphone. We could add a laugh track in for him later. Mike, what's your emotion? Put it in Slack. He's thinking. He is contemplating. He is using the thinking emoji. So, John, will you be doing a voice? Well, not intentionally, but much like the world-building team of Vesser, I also lost my voice. So we will see how my voice in real life develops compared to how my character voice develops. They'll probably be the same. For, For people who are listening at home... I'm just going to drop this here. At the end of the episode, once all of the rest of our lovely players have gone their separate ways, except for Tanner, who is who is recording, but will not be listening. 
we've got some exciting stuff about what Mike might be doing during the game mm-hmm. that we'll talk through soon. Great. And, and just just to be clear, I won't be listening. I will be editing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Amy's going to look at that, or we're going to pretend you didn't hear. I, I can certainly pretend like yes. Kaylin doesn't uh, know no. something. We'll but... we'll do it. Tanner knows. Kaylin does not know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that that's how we'll play that one. Kaylin has never edited a podcast in his life, so he doesn't know what that even is. Do they even have podcasts in this world? I mean, they have pods and presumably casts, but <laughs> and casts of pods, but not not like this. Kaylin's never heard of an SMB. Yeah, that's true. Now I can't stop thinking about what they do for entertainment in this world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do they have like a? Do they have influencers in the space? The exalted, the exalted, yeah. I mean, they they have like performances and entertainment and games and things like that. A lot that, of live so. entertainment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but nothing like no digital tablets, if you will. Yeah, we're not in that technological age quite right. yet. Quite yet. So we're doing yeah. we're doing like plays and stuff. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare in the Park, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we're really excited for what's ahead. Thank you for listening. And next week, you'll get to hear the first session or part of session. We'll be kind of cutting up each session into manageable chunks each week to listen to. Thank you, everybody. Victory, Anne, Jeremy, John, and Mike. And we can't wait to see you again next week. Bye, everybody. Stay tuned for Anne's special sauce in just a bit. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Hello, it's me, Anne, again, with a super top secret behind the scenes look at something that's going to be going on during the campaign. So we were talking about how Mike could be incorporated, even though he cannot speak and throwing around some ideas. And so in the first episode, Victory's character is going to be given an artifact for reference, when expeditioners go out, they very commonly are given ciphers and oddities and fascinations, things that they carry with them. And so having an item that does a set power or something like that is not unusual. However, what Victory's character believes is an artifact, much like a cipher, is actually a container that is holding a agent of the augury. The Augury has taken interest in something that is going on at the Sun Tower, and they are sending one of their agents out there to get up to all the things that the Order of Signs gets up to. And as as a result, you'll get to hear some short one-sentence things from Mike, who will be communicating telepathically with Victory's character. However, Victory just thinks it is within the actual natural functions of this artifact that she has been given. And so just behind the scenes, you as the audience will know that this is actually someone undercover from the Augury who is interfering in the business of the Expeditionary Corps. But yeah, can't wait to dive into more of this next week once we get into session one. Bye, everybody. Bye.